0: Hey, we're so glad you decided to join us on YouTube. You're about to hear a message from our teaching team. We hope this message helps equip you for freedom and to find purpose in your everyday life. We stream our online services every Sunday. You can visit us at freedomhouse.cc live to connect with us and become part of our online campus. We know that you're gonna enjoy this message you're about to watch. Good to see everybody. What a great day to be in church. Even everybody, welcome, uh, welcome to people live streaming. Y'all give a hand clap to those people that are watching in online. All right, by a show of hands, how many of you typically go to the 1030 service? Raise your hand up. All right, pretty good contingency of people. You know, it's, it's not a bad split because in the first service, there was uh, about that many, maybe a little bit more few, but it was pretty even uh, split on who decided to go where. So uh, for those of you, That are here from the 1030, thank you for sleeping in a little bit and coming to hang out with us. Uh, We will probably have a few people from the 1215 that show up when service is done, and they're going to think that for the first time in their life, they're early, and nobody's here. (laughs) So, uh, But either way, we'll figure it out. We'll get this thing down. I'm excited, though, because this is our first weekend uh, of our, our new service change, and I love it. I love standing up here and seeing just a packed house. And here's why I love it, not to just say we have a packed house, but I don't know about you... But I, I, can, I feel the energy, and hopefully you feel the energy, of just being in here with a group of people close. You might smell the energy of those people, so it might stink a little bit. Maybe you've had two or three seats around you, but now you don't. But I love the energy uh, of what's going on in here. And during the music part of worship, uh, if you don't know what that was, that was called God's presence just coming and showing up. Uh, And and the cool thing about God's presence is we all can think different things and have God talking to us in different ways, and it's still His presence. And that doesn't just happen when we sing some songs. God wants that to happen all throughout every day of our life. Whether a song is going or not, He wants us to know that He's ready and willing, and He loves being present with us. All right, I've said a lot before I've even said who I am. So I'm Michael Singer. I am one of the pastors here at Freedom House. Uh, I am uh, mostly stationed up at our Lake Norman campus, so I'm up there. So I'm typically not here much unless I am preaching. We have a teaching team here at Freedom House. So we have three campuses. We like to call ourselves uh, one house with many rooms. So we have this central campus. We have our Lake Norman campus, which is further up north. And then down south, uh, we got real creative, and we have a south end campus down there. Um, And so it's cool that Instead of doing video feed where we would watch like Pastor Troy on video at some of those campuses, we decided to create a team of people to stand up here so that you can look at somebody in the eye and engage with somebody physical. That don't make us better than anybody. We just decided to do that, and we love it. We appreciate it, and it's an honor for me to be a part of this team. Uh, Another thing I love about our pastors is they have been actually over in Arizona this week. Pastor Penny was there earlier. Pastor Troy is there now. They're taking the Freedom House funk all over the nation. So they're in Arizona. So give it up for our pastors, just the vision they had to follow God for this church and just how they love to take just the way God has wired them, the things he's given them, and share that with other leaders, other pastors, and uh, other churches. Now, I want to share with you a moment uh, that happened in my life. It was about 18, uh, 18, 19 years ago. It was a very frustrating moment It was a moment where I found myself myself very angry, uh, found myself very upset, um, and and just it, it was challenging. It was not a simple or easy moment. The thing I didn't know was that that same feeling in that same moment would not just happen that one time, but would happen multiple times almost every year of my life, even to this current date. This all got triggered, and this moment 18 years ago was me in a store standing in front of the greeting card aisle and I'm reading greeting cards and I'm getting madder and madder and more furious because I'm wondering they're obviously not paying these people from Hallmark enough to write something good because everything I read I just got frustrated and I'm trying to tell my baby girl sugar boo down here how much I love her And I can't tell her through whoever wrote this at Hallmark. I might need to apply for a job at Hallmark. I would start reading the card and I would think, this is it. And then it would just get corny. Like, I'm like, why don't you stop? You didn't have to keep saying all that. Now, they do okay in the funny arena, but I just found myself disgusted. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna do something about this. I will not be bound by Hallmark. I bind you, Hallmark. No, I'm just kidding. I decided to take a piece of paper and a pen or pencil, and I said, you know what? Can't nobody tell my girl how much I think about her and the way I think about her better than me. <laughs> so take that, Hallmark, and I just started writing and telling Jolene exactly how I felt about her. You know, I believe God stand, stood in heaven and said, man, I got all these Hallmark cards I could send to these people. And then he said, you know what? They just don't say to them what I really want to say to them. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have some people write some stuff down about interactions with me, some stories that that these people can read that reveal my character. And most importantly, I'm going to write this letter to them that is basically a love letter. And they're going to separate it out into Old Testament and New Testament and probably call it a Bible. But ultimately, the way I see it, God said, is it's a letter from me to the people that I created that I want to call my children to let them know how their father, how their dad, what he really thinks about them, so that they don't have to hear it from anybody else who doesn't really know what he meant. The reason why we are in this series called Papyrus, It Is Written, is not to argue whether or not Jonah got swallowed by a catfish or a big fish or a whale. It's not to argue what fruit they ate back in the Garden of Eden. Or what their loincloths were made of. It's not to argue all this stuff or get real theological and all. It's simply to talk about the fact that God has written a letter to us of love and telling us about who he is. Showing us his character. Letting us know how much he desires us. That he's writing this letter. And if we'll pick it up, we'll get to see, believe, and understand the real way that he thinks about you and me. And in Second Timothy, it actually talks about the power of God's word. And in a, sta- in a few statements, it tells the importance of it. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. And this is the message paraphrase. <clears throat> it says, every part of scripture, on the count of three, everybody shout every. One, two, three. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful for one way or another. And then here's what it does. It shows us truth It exposes our rebellion, it corrects our mistakes, and it trains us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together, we are shaped up for the task that God has for us. God said, I want to give you a letter that will change you and shape you and mold you. There'll be times where I encourage you with something. There'll be times where I correct you. There'll be times where I try to show you the right decision to make. There'll be times, like we sang in that song, that you could just lean back in my everlasting loving arms. You can just lean back and rest. But in order to experience that, in order to be shaped, in order to be molded in exactly who I called you to be, you've got to be connected to my love letter. You've got to know what my word says. You got to hear how I say that I love you because there are things and plans I have for you specifically and me specifically that if we don't get connected and shaped by that, then we'll never know exactly what he has for us and we'll never find exactly who we were meant to be and what that means to his kingdom and what it means to a God who loves us. Now, one thing I found in life is that it's a lot easier to make a choice or a decision to do something once, twice, maybe three times. But it's a lot harder to do something and make a choice and sustain that for a long period of time. I this past week the weather was beautiful and great. How many of y'all raise your hand? You love the weather this past week? I did too, until my allergies started going, whoa, we're about to change seasons. Let's let's buck you up. So the weather was great, but here's what it did. I'm driving down the road, beautiful day. I think it was Thursday. And it made me think about, we're going to be planting our garden soon. And the great thing about a garden is you can get fresh fruit that you know is good. You know it's free range. You know it's organic. You don't have to ask or wonder. And it tastes so luscious. The challenging thing about that is, is you got to keep up that garden. Every year, I tell Jaleigh, Jaleigh, I am going to stay on top of the weeds The weeds are not going to overtake our garden, and every year I fail because it's easy to do that once or twice or three times, but I have never sustained taking care of these weeds because it takes a lot of effort to do something and sustain doing that thing. And I'm going to prophesy right now. This year, I'm going to look at my wife, and I'm going to say, this year, those weeds will not beat us. I'm going to take them out, and I believe in that. God's Word, when it talks about our life, it refers to it as a race, not just any kind of race, but specifically a race that is a marathon, that is not a sprint, a race that it takes a long time, a race that in order to live it and walk it, we've got to figure out how do we sustain over this long period of time. I believe the way that we sustain in our life, one of the greatest keys is God's Word. So today I want to talk to you about how God's Word allows us to sustain every aspect of our life and run that race of what the Bible calls a race of endurance. Now, I love a picture that is painted in Psalms, and so let's get into looking at how we are sustained and what sustains us and reiterating that it's God's Word. Psalms chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, let me pause here for a minute. I want to talk about this phrase, meditate on his word day and night. If you like to pray to God and you have a relationship with him and you love to cross your legs and hold your fingers up that's fine. No problem with that. That's usually how I see meditation. If you like to hum, "Mm, God, I love you. Mm." If you like to do that, that's fine. But when it's talking about meditate here, it's not just talking about, Michael, do you mean I got to read my word all day and all night in order to do this? Like, is that meditation I've got to read all the time? I'm probably going to get fired and I'll probably fall asleep at some point. Is that what it means to meditate day and night to just read the word? Let's think of meditating day and night like this. I like to think of it as a choice that we make day and night to engage with God's word as we walk through every day and encounter many different circumstances in life. But in order to engage with God's word in our lives, we have to know and be familiar with his word. So if we're going to meditate on it day and night, if we're going to allow it to change us and be a part of every aspect of our life, then we need to know what that is. We need to know what his word says. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Probably the most obvious and easiest way is that we go and read it. That we ourselves go and open his word up and read and see what it has to say. Another way that happens is right here. You showed up to church. This is your choice to learn and be able to engage with God's word because I've already read some scripture. I'm going to read some more. And there might be one that when you leave here, you walk through your day and something hits you and you remember that verse or at least the principle of that verse and it helps you to do what God has called us to do and walk with him. Life groups, small groups. You might be studying a book with a group of people here at Freedom House. And in there, they reference scripture and they tie it into what it's talking about. Maybe you're sitting down one-on-one with somebody. You're just opening the Bible up and you're just going through and talking about what the different scriptures mean. Listening to music, hearing scripture sung. All these different ways we can engage with God's word. And then he says, once you've gotten my word in in, in you, I want you to meditate on it. Day and night. Now, here's what the passage of Scripture goes on to say. It gives us a picture of somebody loving God's word and meditating on it day and night. And it says, That person is like. Now, this is a simile. So, all my teachers said, Amen. When it says like or as, it's a simile. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Now, as I finished reading that and was looking at it, this word prosper just kind of stood out to me. And my American culture definition of prosper would say, oh, that's somebody who's got enough money, more money than what they need. They work a great job It's an easy life. They can sit back and watch Netflix. They can go do all their hobbies. They got money to do whatever they want to do. It just seems like on the outside, everything is relaxing and easy, and they're just prospering. But I know that that's not God's definition of prospering because there are those people that we've seen that we thought they had everything together and had prospered in every way, and they're struggling and wondering why they even exist. They're hurt. They're broken, and they don't know why, and no matter how much the American prospering has happened in their life, they still don't have peace on the inside of them. So I decided to go, this is in the Old Testament, so I decided to go look at the Hebrew word that was used for this word prosper. And they're going to show it on the screen. The word is tzaliach, probably said more like tzaliach. Got a hawk of a to say these words here's what it means to push forward it expresses the idea of a successful venture and it's also used in a way to indicate victory now when i read these three different kind of phrasings or definitions what i think of is process means we don't we don't wake up and just prosper because we want to that the prospering God talks about is a pushing forward. It means we're constantly moving and constantly going forward. It means that it expresses an idea of a successful venture. If you want to climb to the top of a mountain, you can stand there at the bottom all day and go, I'd love to be up there. But until you start walking and tripping and panting and getting tired and moving your way up the mountain and harder to breathe, until you get to the top, that's a successful venture you've traveled and you've moved. It's taken time. It's been hard along the way. And then this last phrase used in a way to indicate victory. If I interviewed everybody in here and said, hey, would you like to, in at least one area of your life, have victory? I doubt anybody would say no. Victory is a word that we're like, man, I really want to have victory in this area. I want to be victorious in the way that I work at my job. I want to have victory as a parent. I want to have victory as a student. I want to have victory in my relationships. I want victory. But victory doesn't just happen when we wake up. There's a process involved with that. We just watched a Super Bowl this past weekend. And yeah. Yeah. What did you say? Pat's ushers. We need to get somebody out of here. (laughs) We watch the Super Bowl. Here's the deal. Those two teams are playing for the highest level of victory that they could get. But do you know they just didn't show up to that game and go, I think we should be the ones playing. No, they worked hard along the way. And do you know the interesting thing? The Patriots won. Do you know they have to start around working again in order to try to get another victory? Victory is a process. It's something that we have to work towards. We'll get victories along the way, but it never ends. We might have victory in one area, and God is saying, hey, there's another area that I would need you to walk and lean into me, and I want you to have victory. But I love the picture of this tree because the tree is representative of somebody who loves God's word and meditates on it day and night, who engages it in their life. And so using this picture of a tree and thinking about the idea of victory, I want you to leave with this phrase today. Live like a tree, and we will find victory. Yeah. Drop a beat. Let's do this. Live like a tree, and we will find victory. When you drive home today, every tree you pass, I want you to look at that tree and say, I have an opportunity to be planted. I have an opportunity to be connected to God's Word, and I have an opportunity to experience victory. Live like a tree, and we will experience, have walk in victory. The thing I love about God is that he has benefits or victorious things that he gives us in the Bible if we decide to be like this tree, if we decide to be connected to his word, if we decide to plant ourselves in what he says to us. And we're going to see a few of these in Psalms 119. Now, the person who wrote Psalms 119 had a lot of ink in their pen. They wrote 176 verses in Psalms 119 alone. And if you go and read those, you will see countless examples of the benefits, the victorious things that God wants to give us that the writer of Psalms talks about if we stay like that tree and are connected to his word. Now, I'm not going to share all these, but I want to share a few benefits of living like a tree And living the tree life. The first one, it's actually two words. The first benefit is peace and joy. Peace and joy. Now, I like to lump peace and joy together because I feel like they're cousins that like they're always around each other. You see, when I look at the tree, the thing that reminds me of peace and joy is, is the water. The streams of water that the tree is planted by. When I think of that stream of water, the tree knows that it's by the water so it's a constant source to help that tree grow. When I think of peace and joy, I think of someone who lives like this, steady. You ever been around people that just, it doesn't, no matter what happens, they just don't get flustered? Like they're just steady? They don't seem to get riled up, don't seem to get bothered? Just steady. This guy Randy McCurry is like that, the guy who did ties. Just a steady guy. When I think of peace and joy, I think of that. When I think about that stream, I think about a constant, consistent steadiness of this tree getting life from that. God wants to give us the life that comes with peace and joy. Let me read to you in Psalms 119 what it says about peace. It says this in verse 165. Great peace, not just normal peace, but great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Olin Carter gives this example that I just personally love about a tree. He said a few times that if you look at a tree, a tree does not strain to produce its fruit. So a tree is not sitting there going, oh, my gosh, we're going to get this apple. Oh, dang. Oh, come on, apple. Oh, you got it. Oh, it doesn't do that. The challenge for us, the challenge for us, one of the big challenges for us is we live our life constipated with drama. Oh, gosh. And if you know physically what constipation is like, I do. Kindergarten, sitting on the toilet. Oh gosh, what? I don't know what's going on. That's drama. Will do that. If we don't have peace and joy, we're going to be living like, oh, I'm going to do this and just like that. And God says, I have exhalax of peace for you. (laughs) I just, we're going to smooth it out, baby. You, you get connected with my word. And there's a peace that's going to come like exalax to break up the binding and loosen you and set you free. Now, I said joy is the cousin of peace. So let's see what Psalms 119 verse, y'all calm down. Verse 92 (laughs) says about joy. It says this in verse 92. uh, If your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. If we stop for a second, we can all probably think of a time where we felt miserable or where, we, where we've experienced miserable moments or just misery. And what the writer says is, if I hadn't been sustained with joy by your word, then I would have crumbled and been destroyed by the miserable moments, and I would have rested and laid and just let those crush me. Here's what I love about joy. Happiness is a response To how my circumstance is going. But joy is a state of being no matter what my circumstance is. It's that peace. It's that streams of water. If we want to be that tree and experience the victory of peace and joy. We want to connect with God's word. And we want that living stream of water beside us. Then we have to stay planted like that tree. The second benefit after peace and joy that we're going to talk about is Understanding. Now, when I look at this picture of the tree, the part that I think of and that just shows me understanding is when it says the tree bears its fruit in season. You see, a tree understands that if it produces its fruit in the wrong season, it's a fruit that doesn't exist in winter. If it says, you know what, I want my fruit now. It's wintertime. Pop out fruit. The tree knows that fruit is going to die and be beneficial for no one. The tree rests in the fact that the season is coming and understands that the moment will come when that fruit will come out. Psalms 119 verse 99 talks about God's connection with his word and understanding. It says, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. In other words, God, I have more understanding than people who maybe just know stuff. Because of your word, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you've talked to someone and they explained something where you went from knowing kind of how it worked to really understanding how it worked. I know, and I've known for a long time, when I'm driving my car, when I hit the brake, my car will stop. I know that. But I hung out with my buddy Adam Mulcahy one day who helped me change my front brake pads. And he explained how it actually worked. I went from knowing that when I hit my foot to understanding why it does that. Back in 2004, I was, uh, I was getting ready to propose to my girlfriend at the time, who now is my wife. And uh, guys, you can propose without a ring, but I wouldn't advise it. <clears throat> um, so I, I knew I had to get a ring. So... Because of a jingle on the radio that said, at Jared's, da, da, da. I went to Jared's. <laughs> Just uh, seriously, because of the jingle. I went to Jared's. Lady I worked with was great. Found the perfect ring. I knew it was the right ring. Um, I didn't have all the money to pay for the ring. So I was going to need to borrow that, like, you know, sign something to get a little loan from them. I didn't have good credit, though. So she said, two options. You pay for all of it, or you're going to have to have somebody co-sign with you. And I said, okay, none of my family lived here. So I had been at the church for a little, a little over a year, year and a half, maybe two years. Uh, I had not known the, probably been around the pastors for about a year at this point. I was like, you know, uh, the pastors are great people. I'll call Pastor Troy. Hey, Pastor Troy, here's my situation. Will you co-sign with me? <laughs> Very lovingly, Pastor Troy said, uh, oh, "Michael, I can't, I can't do that because it, it just goes against Scripture, it goes against God's Word." <laughs> I didn't really know what he was talking about, but I just said, "Okay." So, but I, I was, I was okay with it because I had kind of had two thoughts running around. You know, Pastor Troy and them don't really know me, know me, so I could be an idiot with money, like not good with money, and I get that they might, they don't know how I deal with my money, so. There, there might not be enough trust there yet. Uh, and secondly, you know, he's a pastor. He's got to follow God's word. <laughs> so I get it. He's doing, he's doing what he should be doing. So I said, you know what? Probably that scripture only applies to people you don't really trust. Like if you trust people, you can co-sign because you're good. So I'll call, uh, I'll call my, my good friend, Mike Witt, best friend. I called him up. I knew Mike knew me. I knew he'd trust me. So I'm like, hey, Mike, uh, here's the situation, man. Uh, Will you be willing to co-sign with me? And he he did the important thing as a husband. He said, hey, let me talk to my wife about this, and I'll get back to you. He called me back and said, man, uh, I can't co-sign. It just doesn't line up with God's word. Um, I don't know what these people are thinking. So he said, but what we'll do is we've talked and we have the money to, to give you the difference of what you need to pay for that ring, and then you can just pay us back. <clears throat> now, I wasn't like mad mad, because obviously I got the money and I'm married today, uh, so everything worked out well. But I was a little frustrated, because I'm like, man, this is my friend. Like, does he not trust me with money? Does he not, tr- I'm not gonna leave him hanging out there to dry. Few years later, after marriage, Jelay and I are in one of the financial life groups here at the church. And we came across this scripture, Proverbs 22, 26. It said, don't shake hands in pledge or be surety for someone's debts. Don't co-sign. <laughs> like I, I, finally, I finally got an understanding because I saw it for myself. And I talked to other people and had heard stories of other people that had co-signed for somebody. And that person didn't pay their stuff. And the person who co-signed, it don't matter how much victory they were trying to go for, now they had somebody else's debt, somebody else's problem. And God is saying, look, I'm trying to give you all some helpful stuff. I'm trying to give you some wisdom. I want you to have victory. But if you take on somebody else's debt, I just want to let you know your victory might get swiped out from underneath you because now you're taking on something that I never intended you to take on like that. I had an understanding, finally, and Psalms 119, 130 explained me in this moment. It says this, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I was simply minded, thinking that that scripture doesn't apply to me and my friend because we have trust. And our friendship trumps whatever God's word might say. And God said, that's not accurate, Michael. My word trumps your friendship so that your friendship will last. And you need to understand that I put that in there to protect y'all so that y'all don't get mad at each other one day. There's uh, a basketball player you might be familiar with. His name is LeBron James. And um, yeah, one person heard of him. Good. You don't need to know basketball to, to get the picture of this. A few years back, uh, LeBron James was playing with a team called the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, and they were playing for the championship against a team that they've played for the last few years against the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, Golden State. This isn't a story about Golden State, though. LeBron played for Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron is an excellent basketball player; will be one of the greatest of all time uh, when he's done. He's a great basketball player. But the thing you know about LeBron, you can watch media, you can watch whatever, you can watch the game, is that. LeBron, on the teams he's on, he is the top leader. He is the top dog. They even joke about him telling the owners who they're going to bring to teams and all this stuff. Like, he is the man. It doesn't mean the other players aren't leading at some level, but when it talks about... When you look at the top dog on the team, LeBron is that top dog on the team. So, this one year, they won the championship. They came back. LeBron played well, and he had a large part to play in that championship. However... If you ask my opinion, I believe they would have never won that championship without a guy who played with LeBron named Kyrie Irving. You see, Kyrie Irving was the point guard, which typically on a basketball court, they're the one kind of leading, leading the charge. But Kyrie Irving, without question, was overshadowed by LeBron. After that year, Kyrie Irving decided he wanted to be traded, and he went to the Boston Celtics. Now, he knew when he went to Boston, he was going to be the top dog. There was nobody in Boston that was going to be better or more top, and their game as good as Kyrie Irving. He knew he was walking out from underneath the shadow of LeBron James and going to create his own shadow. I saw a video clip in the last few months of Kyrie Irving, and he said, I need to apologize to LeBron James because I did not understand what it took and what it meant and the pressure you feel when you are the top leader. You see, we look on social media, we see people, we watch them, and we make up these assumptions about people, but we really don't understand. We're being simple-minded, and we think we know, but we make a judgment on them without really sitting down and talking to them. I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of moments in my life where I thought something about someone, but I never talked with them, and then when I sat down and talked with them, God was like, smack! I said oh my gosh I had no idea that you were good like had I known that I wouldn't have been over here talking trash inside my head about you <laughs> or somebody's told you about how somebody acts because that's been their encounter and then you meet that person and you're like I don't know what their problem is because this person is a gem they're like beautiful like I love this person I can hang out with this person there's an understanding that God wants us to get to. It's a victorious moment when we're planted like that tree. When we're living like that, God says, I will give you fruit and season. I will give you a perspective to understand like I see things, not like we see things or the way other people tell us to look at things. We get his understanding. We have peace. We have joy. We have understanding. The last... The benefit of being planted like a tree, of being connected with God's word, is hope. Now, when I look at the tree, the part that shouts hope to me is when it says that the leaves don't wither. The leaves are green and they don't wither. I'm not talking about fall off, I'm talking about wither and die. The reason why, for me, that's the picture that I love for hope is because I know if I look at the tree and if I see one green leaf, there's hope, there's a chance. It's going to happen. Let me read to you in Psalms 119 the verse that talks about hope and connection with God's word. It's 119 verse one, verse uh, 114. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. I know walking through our lives that we desperately want hope. Because hope is the thing that keeps us taking a step. Taking a step in that marriage. Taking a step in that relationship. Taking a step at that job. Taking a step when we feel like everybody's put us down. We want that. But it doesn't just come when we wake up in the morning and say, I want that. Right here, the writer reveals that his word is the source of our hope. If we don't want the leaves to wither and die... Then we've got to be planted there and allow the leaves to remain and be green so that we have the hope that God has for us. So that we can keep moving and trying to be complete and find out exactly where God wants us to be and what he wants us to do and who we are. In 1 Kings, there's a prophet by the name of Elijah. A prophet simply was a person. They, they didn't have, like, the Old New Testament like we do. They had the written law. Uh, but they, didn't, they couldn't go back and just read stuff like us. So there was a prophet. And the prophet's role and responsibility was they would hear from God. God would share something with them. And then they would go and share it with the people. So they were like God's mouthpiece. This God is one of the ways God talked to the people that were in relationship with him. So Elijah, this prophet... In about 1 Kings 16, 17, he goes to the king at the time, Ahab, and he says, Hey, man, I just want to let you know, God's about to shut up the sky, and it's not going to rain for a while. That's exactly what happened. It said that they experienced a famine because of the lack of rain. Uh, Streams started to dry up. There was a lack of water. Then we get to 1 Kings 18, and it says, Elijah... is feeling like God is about to bring rain. And so he goes, we need to get ready because God is about to bring this rain. His servant is standing there with him, and he says, hey, man, I believe this so much. Will you go over there and look and see if you see a rain cloud? Servant walks over. He looks. It's blue sky. It's a pretty day. Elijah, sorry, man, uh, I didn't see anything over there. Elijah looks at him and says, Hey, man, will you go back and look again? And the server's probably thinking, like, man, I got 20-20 vision. Like, I ain't see nothing. Looks, and be- the clouds haven't changed. Elijah, sorry, man, I-, I don't see a thing. Like, it's a beautiful sky, beautiful day. There's no, nothing that appears to rain. Elijah says, hey, will you go back over there and look again? Tell me if you see something. He goes and looks. He's probably thinking this guy's done lost his mind. He's seen now. He's old. He's just making up stuff. He's probably, I don't, I don't think, God must not be talking to him anymore because there is not a, like, I don't see nothing out there. It's just a beautiful day, no sign of rain. Walks back, sorry, Elijah, there's, man, I don't know what to tell you, man. There's just, it's not, it's not going to rain. Seven times, Elijah sent him over to look. Six times, he didn't see anything. But the seventh time, he said, Wait. I see a storm cloud the size of a man's hand. And you see, I believe Elijah got excited because yet again, Elijah had walked in the hope and he walked in hope that God was going to bring rain. Not just because he wanted rain, but he had walked with Lord, with the Lord. He had seen God move. He had meditated on who God was day and night. He was like a tree planted by a stream that knew fruit would come in season. And he knew leaves wouldn't wither. And as long as there's a green leaf, then doggone it, rain's going to come. I can have hope. God desperately wants us to have that hope. But I believe sometimes we stop looking after the first or second time. I believe God is saying, you don't have it because you're just not going to get it. We maybe don't have it because we stopped looking. Maybe we stopped abiding in his word. Maybe we we stopped delighting in his word. Maybe we stopped allowing his stream of life to flow with us and to nourish us and encourage us. And maybe we've just given up. If you will stand to your feet with me right now and as you stand if you'll just close your eyes and i ask you to do that just because i want you to just get rid of the distractions just listen to what god is saying to you because i believe that somewhere through these different things we've talked about of peace joy understanding hope that maybe there's one area that god is just he's really talking to you and encouraging you that hey you haven't had peace or joy but i want to give it to you if you'll just connect with me and be like that tree and you'll just plant yourself by these running waters. Some of you, maybe we've been thinking a certain way, but we realize that, man, I don't really understand God's perspective because I haven't been connected to Him. And I've been wanting something that God hasn't wanted for me at this particular time, but there is a time for it, but I need to understand His perspective. Maybe you just feel real hopeless today. Maybe life has just been beating you up back and forth. Maybe it's just this last month. Maybe it's just this week. Maybe it's been years of that. I'm here to tell you today that hope is right around the corner. But we got to walk around the corner to find it. And the way that we do that is that we connect with God's word. God's greatest example of hope was he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Because he knew if he didn't only write his love to us and display it, And going first by sending his son to die for us then we wouldn't have a chance to even understand what hope is and we would never be able to become the people that he desires us to be so if you're here today and you don't have a real relationship with God I'm not talking about showing up to church I'm not talking about believing there is a God I'm talking about going God I believe you love me enough to send your son to die for me and I choose that today I want to be planted by your stream by your river so that I can flourish like a tree and really understand the victory you have for me in every area of life. If that's you and you don't have a relationship, just raise your hand right where you are. And that's just your way of saying, I want a relationship. I see your hand, young man back there. I see your hand over here. Anybody else? I see your hand, sir. Thank you for raising your hand. I see your hand down here. I see your hand on the far left. You can put it down once you've raised it. I see your hand up top. Thank you, sir. If you raise your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer after me loud where you can hear yourself. If you're here and you have a relationship with God, the Bible says that anytime somebody accepts a relationship, heaven rejoices. So the way I want you to rejoice today is I want you to repeat this prayer also loud so those people that raise their hand know they have people by their side and with them that know what it feels like to have a relationship with God and have hope. Say this prayer loud. God, I love you. Thank you for being a hope dealer You sent your son, Jesus, to die for me. He didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. That is what I believe today. I put my trust in you. And on this journey, I will allow your word to sustain me. In the good times, in the hard times. And every day of my life, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join us for online services. If you'd like to learn more about Freedom House or how you can become part of our church, visit our website at freedomhouse.cc.